0: fellow Alaska Airlines pilots and other podcast listeners. I'm your host, Captain David Campbell, Strategic Communications Chairman. With me today are Captain Will McQuillan, MEC Chairman, Captain Keith Lewis, MEC Vice Chairman, and Captain Ronan O'Donohue, your Strategic Planning Chairman. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. I brought you in here today to talk about a fact that I think most of our pilots are aware of which is contract negotiations have begun and in relation to that I wanted to talk about the planning that has gone into not only our contract negotiations but just the direction of the MEC of late so Will you wanna kick us off with that?
1: Well, sure sure the the foundation of not just the uh, The plan that we're executing as we go through negotiations uh, here for contract 2020 but also uh, the backbone of kind of how the MEC does business is our strategic plan and the uh, MEC strategic plan is something that's revised periodically um, and it had been done uh, prior well prior to my tenure and uh, we took a look at it and decided that you know in light of the fact that we were a brand new pilot group a merged pilot group with uh, different priorities and uh, certainly the fact that we were operating in a very, very different competitive environment uh, as an airline post-merger, that it was time to revisit that plan. And so that was uh, a revision of the strategic plan was something that was actually uh, undergone by um, Jonathan Wrigley, my predecessor, uh, started the foundational planning and then was uh, finally uh, executed and voted on and adopted by the MEC earlier this year at a recent meeting. it is the foundation, obviously, of how we're doing business.
0: Well, this is not new, obviously, to the to our MEC. We've, we've always kind of keep an idea of what's going on in the industry and, and our relation to it, but what about this particular time was a, a big impetus for the way that we were doing our planning?
1: Oh, I think that this strategic plan was more critical than ever before because post-merger we're working with uh, a different pilot group, a merged pilot group, uh, you know, it's a brand new Alaska MEC pilot group, as well as an airline that's operating in a, a very, very different competitive environment than it's ever operated in before. Um, the, the strategic plan had to reflect that. Uh, we face a whole new set of threats. For example, you know, obviously the competitive overlay of our route structure. We're competing with United head-to-head out of San Francisco, American out of LA, and of course Delta with significant overlap in Seattle. And, of course, the market for pilots has changed dramatically since the last time that the uh, MEC revised its strategic plan and, uh, you know, it needs to reflect that. The company's approaches to negotiations uh, and its relationship with the pilot group need to reflect that as well. I guess, in short, the MEC realized that things have changed and that uh, some of those changes really gave us pause about our future. And it was the MEC's job to take a look at the strategic plan and make sure that it reflected uh, not just the current environment that we're working in, but that it protected our pilot group uh, regardless of whatever business decisions are made in the future by the company.
0: Yeah, I noticed that as we went through a lot of that planning that we really identified some threats to our future and uh, a theme that kept coming up as we talked about that was how we needed to safeguard our future and that's really what ended up being our slogan, but it, it grew rather naturally and organically out of those conversations. So that's kind of the why we started doing that. Um, Ronan, maybe you can talk about how we did that. What was the process of revising that strategic plan?
2: Sure, David, happy to do that. Um, so about a year ago, we uh, both, both um, MECs, we were still single MECs, the Virgin America MEC, of course, and the Alaska MEC. Both groups decided that they should be basically a steering committee formed in order to revise the strategic plan. Um, we did what's called a SWOT, and what a SWOT means is a, a strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities threats analysis, and that's a pretty much a deep dive into um, all four of those topics. And we identified many, many things. And you know, as Will said, I want to piggyback on that. One of the, the big things is it's a very different pilot group. You know, the strategic plan that was done in 2014. Um, obviously, it was an Alaska Airlines strategic plan, but now we have, you know, a distinct change with the uh, the pilots, and we have new bases that have come into play, and we have large commuter airlines. There's, there's a lot of things that have changed, so we felt it worthy to really, really do a deep dive into this. And yeah,
0: some of those changes, it, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that we got bigger very quickly, but even within pilots that existed on both properties before. There's differences in those guys. Oh, absolutely. And, and
1: to piggyback on that, as a matter of fact, over half of our pilots have not had the opportunity to vote on a contract at Alaska
2: Airlines. Over half.
1: In fact, actually the number is uh, greater than, than half. It's 1,126 pilots presently on property have had the opportunity to vote on a contract here. So 1,126 out of the 3,000, It's it's better than half.
2: And that required us as an MEC um, to, to totally revisit um, our strategic plan to make sure that we were keeping up with the pilot group. So, you know, in order to do that, we stood up a steering committee, and that steering committee consisted of several people. Um, we used what's called SMEs, which are subject matter experts. And we brought in from Alba National some uh, staff, including economic and finance, um, many attorneys that have a long, long history of negotiations. Um, we used some reps that are directly, you know, we wanted to make sure the pilots' voices were heard, and what they felt that was important, and we used our negotiation committees, um, the ones that were primarily heard during the um, JCBA of 2017, to make sure that we, uh, we, we were doing our due diligence on that. So, you know, we, we basically, we would, we would do this work, we would form these committees, meet, and um, then take it back to the MEC to make sure that we were on track. Mm-hmm. And we did that several times during um, that that one year period and to make sure that we were where we wanted to be. And there were some tweaks. You know, there was definitely some um, course corrections and to make sure that we were getting it right. But we feel like we're very confident in this document um, that we're, we're, we're putting out to you guys. And we feel very, very strongly that this is
0: a good, um, a good document to, to help us move forward for the contract 2020. Yeah, and we also brought in committee chairs that from the, our pilot ranks that have been studying a lot of their particular issues, like re- the Sid Graham and retirement insurance. Yep, absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah, there was there was there was many SMEs as we call them, right. you know, Subject matter experts brought in. I mean, and one of the things that this MEC um, is really really wanting to do is just establish trust and um, make sure that we hear from the pilots. Make sure that we we are truly representing the pilots.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, from the communication side of things, I think one of the things that is a little bit different in this plan is what we're doing with it. And we're making sure that we share it with our pilot group because it's important that they understand that there is a direction that we've been looking at the industry, looking at where we fit into the industry. And it's important that our pilots are along with us as we go down this path. Will, as you consider this plan, what are some important takeaways that you want to make sure the pilots are aware of?
3: Well, good question. I think maybe I might split that answer into kind of two parts. Um,
1: maybe what struck us about the what we learned during the SWOT analysis as we were preparing the strategic plan, uh, and then the other part is maybe some Points that maybe we want to highlight on the go forward element of the plan, because mm-hmm. both were pretty
0: pretty instructional. So what what struck you? What what, what did we learn from this process?
1: Uh, as far as like when we were preparing it and as we were doing the SWOT analysis, uh, I thought it was interesting with the briefings that we got from our economic finance and analysis experts and industry analysts, and then uh, scope code share alliance, you know, um, analysts back uh, in D.C. is that really who actually owns this company you know we we know it's the shareholders of course but when you reveal that the largest institutional shareholders you know have a 60% share of ownership in the company and specifically that like the largest 10 own over 45% of the Alaska Airlines stock and then you go ahead and you continue that dialogue and learn that those very same people own large controlling shares of JetBlue and Hawaiian Um, you know who I think people might perceive to be likely uh, merger partners at some point you know in in our future and And you're
0: you're talking about this table on page eight right
1: right right Mm -hmm. exactly and the the fact that even if management is fully committed to remaining independent when you look at this kind of data you think that that decision may not remain completely within their control Right mm-hmm. when you know the, the shareholders themselves have a, a controlling stake in a lot of things, and, and that gave rise to is uh, I think uh, our relationship and the, the need to develop a corporate governance council relationship by uh, by partnering with uh, a law firm that specifically will reflect our interests should something like that come to fruition should a, you know a merger that we didn't ask
0: for or weren't a party to. So with this talk of corporate governance. It- Is there something in the future that you know of that we need to be prepared for? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, to be
1: perfectly clear that all we did was identify that there is, you know, a Possible risk, obviously. There's always been a possible risk of a merger transaction, and we know of nothing. Uh, please don't let that rumor, <laughs> that rumor, start. But at any rate, we, you know, when you look at who owns the company and who owns potential partners, and uh, you know, the current obviously climate for M and A activity, it, it's just it's due diligence to be prepared, and that's what securing corporate governance Council does for us. It
0: allows us to uh, control our own future in that transaction. Well, what did that plan show us about our competitive vulnerability? Well, I,
1: it was interesting and I don't think you have to take my word for this or the, what we see there in the plan document, which you know, you've, you've brought out nicely. Just listen to the company's investor calls. Uh, you know, they, they telegraph pretty well what they're concerned about in those calls. And right now, you know, if you look at it, the four largest airlines own over 80% of the total industry seats, right? We are still very much a small fish in a very, very big ocean. And you know, the capacity that we do have, there's really substantial overlap on our route structure. Roughly 77% of uh, Alaska's capacity in Seattle competes directly with Delta, for example. And in quarter one of 2119 alone, Uh, competitive overlap, capacity overlap between Alaska and all of our other carriers has increased by 4%. That's a lot in one quarter.
0: It is, and if anyone's following along with the plan, we're looking at some charts on page 6, the top 10 airports, percentage of total departures, and the change in the domestic market share in the Seattle market. Well, Keith, what stood out to you in, in the SWOT analysis and the plan that we're talking about? Yeah, um, you know, really the breakdown of uh, labor
3: relations. Um, since since yeah, I, I came from the Virgin side of the house and ever since we showed up, I would have to say that labor relations were broken um, almost immediately. You know, started with a TPA. Uh, the company came to the two MACs talking about how this was going to be a gold standard of a merger and they wanted to uh, move fast, get a deal, work with us so they could take advantage of the synergies. And we essentially agreed to that. Then we ended up with the longest TPA negotiation in history and it is spiraled downhill from there. You um, You look at our JCPA negotiations and it was nothing but delay all the way through To the arbitration Uh, during the negotiations of the JCPA the company would come up, show up unprepared. Uh, They'd go into caucus almost all day, Uh, you know, to the point to where they had outside counsel doing yoga out in the halls. Uh, It it is ridiculous.
2: Right. I do want to point too, David, if you don't mind. Absolutely, go ahead. I think it's worth pointing out too that the first contract, because we were a newly formed alpha carrier with Virgin America. The first contract that Virgin America pilots saw was arbitrated. Right. They didn't even get to vote on their first contract. And that's just, I mean, that was a huge opportunity lost for the company.
1: Yeah, I I think so. It was uh, my predecessors in this position had said numerous times that the most important part of this merger process was that the pilots had a say in their future and that they had the one thing, the one opportunity that we could all perceive, which was a, a new contract. Right, the JCBA was going to provide opportunities um, for growth for, for the pilot group at large and that if they were not offered the opportunity to have a
3: say in that, that, that would be a very big mistake. And Joe Youngerman actually warned Tilden. Uh, when, when the JCBA negotiations were really breaking down, Joe had told him, essentially he had said that you know if we go into arbitration and we get an arbitrated contract and then we go and do an SLI and that's gonna end in an arbitrated SLI what do you think that's gonna do for pilot morale and I think we can all answer that question now but it just (laughs) fell on completely deaf ears and go back to living in the bubble. I I did want to offer, I think, maybe one
1: point of clarification, because when we're bringing this back to that 30,000-foot view, which is the the labor relations piece, I think the um, uh, perceived yoga, so to speak, or whatnot, when the company would come in for those negotiations, they were not organized and not on the same page to the degree that they would caucus, and they were internally not aligned to the point where certain portions of their group were segmented out in the hall you know and and that's what I mean is that labor relations that should have been one team speaking with one voice to come and engage with our team you know on a professional level like other airlines do and that that process was just so dysfunctional it was it was disheartening and that's part of what the strategic plan Looked at was that history, and to prepare for that, and say that you know this is an aggressive negotiating plan for contract 2020. When we have expectations, and we expect that that will not repeat itself, and that we will communicate very clearly with the pilots if it does, and exactly what the breakdown was, and you know what we intend to do as far as fix it. But we won't uh, we won't sit and wait for eight hours outside of a caucus room while they collect their thoughts. Right. And do you think the needle's moved on that point? Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think the message has been received in in all honesty and in the conversations with uh, the labor team we have. I mean, they've obviously taken a positive step of reaching outside. Uh, Greg Mays is no longer in that position, reaching outside of the uh, the internal um, candidates to find an external uh VP of Labor, and then the relationship with uh, with Shane Tackett's encouraging. He
0: seems to understand the need to move productively and quickly. So these are all frustrating things you brought up with the way management has dealt with the labor relations. Does the plan address what we're going to do differently, how we're going to fix that problem going forward?
1: One of the things we identified with the, the labor relations in terms of that yardstick over our labor relations here. Normal compared to other properties was that we've engaged and we're working with Bruce York, you know, chief negotiator for ALPA, Literally, done hundreds of contracts, right? And hundreds he, of
0: contracts for airline pilots.
1: Correct, and, and, and in terms of his ability to read. Whether it's broken or not, I, I tend to trust that judgment.
0: That things don't work like this at other airlines. Right. He's seen where they work smoothly yes. and effectively and come to a fruition at the end, and and he hasn't been seeing that here. Correct. Which is
1: uh, not to put words in his mouth, but right. yes, I I think that's a fair statement.
2: Well, I think that's part of what we're doing differently this time, David. Is um, you know in this uh, strategic plan and the executive summary. You know, we've kind of outlined a path that we're going forward with Section 6 negotiation timeline that's quite aggressive. Um, We fully intend on holding the company accountable, and we commit to reporting to you exactly how things are going. We want to make sure that we are completely transparent with the pilots, so the pilots can now see what we're seeing. And I think that's really, really important that they see that this time around. You know, if the company makes an inaccurate statement regarding a topic of negotiations, you'll know about it. This time you will know the truth. So... But that's that's the the biggest thing I think that's different going around this time.
0: Keith, what did we discover about the priorities for management in this plan as it relates to labor relations?
3: They, they really haven't uh, correctly prioritized what labor is worth. You know, they'll, they'll go out and spend two hundred and twenty five million dollars on stock buyback and dividends. But they will not address any of the really important issues that, that have a cost to the pilots, slope and differential. Again, going back to the arbitration award for the JCBA, the panel directed the parties to go back to the table and negotiate these things. And they refused to do it. So they're just prioritizing the stockholders over the employee group.
1: Yeah, and I, and I do understand that there's priorities and trade-offs to be made, right, in terms of what the, the company or management wants to do with money, but the value of the stock is one element of it, or the value of shareholder value, what you want to return to the, to the shareholders. But imagine returning some of that to the employee groups, to the real stakeholders in this company, and what that might you know, reward them with in terms of an engaged, involved uh, workforce. You know one of the I think Joe Youngerman said that the the greatest threat that they faced in this merger process was indifference and that if in the end they ended up with an indifferent pilot group flight attendant group any of the other you know unionized work groups that a lot of things were lost and and that's that's what you're buying and so two hundred million dollars to maybe take away some of that indifference in an engaged pilot group talk about you know hashtag winning the west
0: yeah it's interesting to me that you used to hear this from the company quite a bit they called it the virtuous cycle you remember that mm-hmm. and it was you've got shareholders you've got your employees and you have your customers and if you engage each one of those groups they, it just feeds off each other and you have this cycle that builds the business and they seem to have devalued the employee section of that cycle and and they don't talk about it or if they have I I haven't heard it in years
1: yeah I would say conversations that we've had in ramping up for these negotiations with senior management indicate that uh, perhaps some of that is is changing but we'll see that's that's a big to be determined right
0: well that'll be something to look forward to we'll see if it happens so we've talked to, about a lot of problems that this plan has illuminated. What are we going to do differently? What have we been doing differently? Ronan, you, you want to speak to that? Yeah, sure. During the, um, especially
2: during the last eight months, we've really, really focused in on engaging the pilot group and getting them back involved. I mean, listen, we're, we're not going to be effective unless everybody's got skin in this game. So. You know, one of the things that uh, Will here has been very, very keen on uh, really, really getting the MEC back into is just advocacy and transparency. And you can see that through the flight path suites. And this MEC has, I don't think there's been more than a two or three week period since um, March 1st, since this MEC came into uh, office, that we haven't gone and done a, a pub event you know, whether it be a coffee morning sit in San Francisco or Portland or LEC meetings, negotiating committee have been with us. There's just many, many opportunities for the pilots to get in front of their um, leadership. And I think that's been, a, it's been, it's been a, at least from, where, from what I'm hearing, it's been very, very effective. I mean, this group's been through a lot. And you have to think, like, over the past three years, you know, we've been through two arbitrated results, you know, with JCBA and then the SLI. And then we've also just gone through our first bid, our first cross bid. And for us to be in the position that we're in, it just speaks a lot towards unity and the value of that going forward. And, and that to me, that's, that's really what's gonna matter this time. And by the position that we're in, what do you mean by that? The position that we're in now, we're poised to do something different for 2020. The pilots, you mean? The pilots, absolutely. And the way that we're going to do that is to be the horsepower under the hood for the negotiating committee. Be unified, be informed, and really, really get behind this union. And that's that's how we're, that's how what's gonna make the difference.
3: Every pilot has skin in this game. This Absolutely. is our contract and people need to be involved.
1: Yep, and I would jump on that and say that this obviously is not an arbitration negotiation, arbitration backed, stopped negotiation. But most importantly, this isn't a spectator sport. Uh, for the pilot group who is reading this, document, who's reading through the strategic plan, who's looking at what's happening as we prepare for 2020. It's not a spectator sport. If you're on the sidelines expecting someone else to secure this contract for you, then you're not helping this MEC achieve its goals, which are your goals. You know, It's been said many times that the most important thing for our pilot group is to demonstrate that you know your contract, fly that contract and defend that contract even if there's elements of it that you're not fond of, that's what this is about. We will change those based on your feedback and your input. But for now, defend that contract. Nothing breaks my heart more than when we see grievances or calls to the contract compliance team that demonstrate that the pilots don't even know their rights under the contract. So come to the, you know, in addition to that, come to the pub events, come to LEC meetings, talk to your fellow pilots. Their needs are your needs, right? That's how this works. And then, of course, the obvious ones is participate in the surveys, the polls, read the comms, you know. An informed opinion is what is going to make this contract your contract for 2020.
2: Absolutely. Well, and the other thing, too, I emphasize is put on your lanyard. Be proud. Be a proud Alpha Pilot. Wear your pen. Put on your lanyard. You know, and piggyback on what Will said. Absolutely. Come to the events. Call your reps. And one of the big things is rumors. Um, I get the same text that everybody else gets. I get the same distributions of misinformation and it's amazing to me how in this day and age that this stuff still flies. Call your P2P guys, call your reps, and the P2P guys, our ambassadors are out there, it's a new committee under Steve Tank and Alex Barnage, and they're fantastic. They're engaged, they're involved. Um, Will's brought them in, so they're weekly getting a weekly briefing now, and that's disseminated to the group every two weeks. So their information is current and correct. Ronan, how do you think that's affecting the pilot group? Well, look at just what look at what just happened here last week, David. We got a ninety percent plus participation rate in the survey. I mean, that's unheard of. Right, our pilots are engaged. They, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's you know that sort those sorts of numbers. They make me sit back and pay attention. That this group is come together. This group is vocal. They're saying what they want loud and clear. You know, there was this narrative that we were we were telling the pilots how to feel, that we were the ones that were creating this, um, you know, this angry feeling coming from the pilot group, we just got 90%. That's the highest. According to Alpe, Economic and Finance Analysis, that's the highest return rate that they've seen in years on any property. And yeah. that's, a, that's a clear and loud message of a directive for us to go forward and make 2020 count. Absolutely. And it's a message to management. Our pilots
3: are
0: engaged. They want change. And they want a great contract. And therefore they should really listen to our negotiating committee that we send because they are going there with the knowledge of what the pilot group as a whole is concerned with absolutely Keith did we learn anything about our pilot group that surprised you in any way
3: yeah absolutely Um, a popular narrative that we heard in flight path was that the MEC was at a at a step with the pilot group and our our polling actually shows the exact opposite.
0: And you're talking about the telephone polling that was done a few months ago, right? Yes,
3: yeah. 75% of the pilots at Alaska believe that they either strongly or mostly oppose the way Alaska management is uh, conducting themselves. And only 6%, 6% of the pilots at Alaska support management and their conduct.
0: Yeah, I I was struck by that too. It, it's you know, you you have the anecdotal evidence that you think people are upset, but to see that only 6% support the way that management is dealing with matters affecting the pilot group is it was pretty I mean it just there it is in black and white. So the report talks a little bit about what we'll be doing differently. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I
3: mean, we hope the Alaska pilots have already seen a change in the way the MEC is doing business. Uh, For example? Communication, being transparent. um, And we plan on continuing that. You know, example, co-terminals. They conveyed their, hey, we want to look into this, and we immediately communicated that with the pilot group. And we got a lot of feedback of, of what the pilots thought. And, and so we're just going to continue to do that. We want meet, to meet you in person, hear your goals and priorities, and we're demanding that the company addresses our issues along with their own. An you know, example of that is the uh, letter Will McQuillan sent to John Ladner regarding the, the uniform changes. They have a vision and an interest in changing the uniform. Yeah, and at the same time, we have a
1: vision and interest in you know, protecting Union insignia and the uniform standards, as well as all the feedback that we've gotten from the pilots that indicate that they have a, a strong opinion on this
0: matter. Keith, what are some things you discovered about management in this process?
3: Uh, management has been operating in this bubble the Pacific Northwest bubble. Well, you know, it's it's just time. It's time to pop the bubble. Management needs to look outside the Pacific Northwest, look at other airlines, look at other airline contracts, and just look at the industry in general. I encourage every pilot to read the summary and just see how big of a bubble management has been living in.
0: So I think synthesizing what I've been hearing from you today and what I've read in this executive summary is that what's really important and what summarizes the plan really is safeguarding our future. And that the most immediate way that we can do that is to negotiate a new contract and to make improvements in it. So we're there. Safeguarding our future is now. And we're working on that hard, all of us here in leadership, and the pilots can do that as well. Yeah,
1: I think that the the risks that were identified in that plan and the opportunities that were identified in that plan can be codified in whatever contract that we ultimately negotiate. And so I think
0: it's important to note that the the future is kind of ours to control. I, I think you're right, Will, the future is ours. And one thing we know from history is change doesn't come easy to those who don't want it. And I think it's safe to assume that management will not like what they're hearing and that they will work hard to maintain the way things have happened in the past and the way they've done business in the past. So don't be surprised if if you see that pushback from management, I think, or at least I want our pilots to to be aware of that. Um, They may, like they have in the past, try to misinform our pilots about our position and the company's positions that we bring into the negotiations. And they may try to do things, for example, of Arguing that incremental improvements are more valuable than they actually are to try to get pilots to believe that, well, that's that's good enough. And, and and many other things that we can talk about in the future. But keep that in mind as we go forward.
1: Yeah, I think the important thing and Chris Gruner has said that in his podcast, too, is that always come back to whatever we ultimately arrive at or at every step in the negotiations and remember what it was that your expectation was from the start. Always come back to that 30,000 foot view when you look at things. You kind of triggered me with that incremental improvement business. Incremental improvements are fine, but in the end, you can't ever forget what it was that your overarching expectation was. And, you know, for instance, scheduling flexibility is a great example of that because the things that were arrived at in scheduling flexibility ultimately, yes, they can all be construed as being incremental improvements, right? But when we come back to that 30,000 foot view of where we started, where the pilots of Alaska Airlines set aside a full huge cornerstone of their expectations of what they wanted in the JCBA, it fell far short. And and that's I think the important part, you know, that and hopefully, you know, I think management has heard those concerns, well, I say they've been told those concerns. If they've heard them or not, will will be determined, you know, by what goes forward in these negotiations. All the more reason to be involved.
0: Well, guys, I want to thank you for coming in and sharing your thoughts about how this plan came together. I think that's been helpful. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Thanks, David. Absolutely. Yeah, Thanks, absolutely. Yeah, but thank you for facilitating. been listening to the Alaska Pilot Podcast. I'm your host, Captain David Campbell. Thank you for listening.